Welcome to the Talk and Trot podcast, where we discuss all things endurance. We like to think of ourselves as the unofficial AERC podcast. Very unofficial. We are your hosts, Bridget Helms and Angie Mickelson. Reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or by email at talkintrot at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back. It's been a minute. Yes, it has. We've been on a little bit of a vacation from podcasting, but we're back. Right? Right. It's called ride vacation. Summertime. That's right. <laughs> Summertime. We were so busy. We're kind of like school kids. We are. We only go to, we only do podcasts during the school year. <laughs> oh, I know. It seems like that's what works best for me because now both of the kids are in school and- yeah. Like my house have, is quiet. <laughs> I don't, we don't have to have them roaming around in the back screaming. Right? Mm-hmm. Screaming. Yes. <laughs> How has your summer been? It was, it turned out to be really good. Um, good. I ended up with 250 miles on major. So that was like my kind of my bare minimum kind of goal for this year to hope that I could get to 250 miles. So we did. So I was happy about that and he's happy and sound and yeah. So how about your summer? Oh gosh. You know, it's been this and that I've had a up and down as far as horses go. I've had a good summer though. Like I've, I've really done a lot of stuff. I haven't spent, I bet I've spent like three weekends in my house. (laughs) I've been gone every weekend. So, uh, lots of fun, but, um, we did the medicine lodge ride that 50 together and we talked about that. And so that was bears first 50 and then Fort house, he had that soreness in his armpit, which I think I've determined was, um, not like a girth gall because he wasn't galled, but like a few weeks after I got him home, it started to like chafe. Almost like it was maybe like pressure and heat or something to where it got up in that armpit. Cause the, the, he has got a super short back and huge shoulders, you know, cause Mm -hmm. medical condition (laughs) (laughs) big fat and, um, he, uh, things in his armpits, like it's real, everything's real tight in there and the girthing kind of goes forward. And so I think it was just too far up in his armpits and, um, made him sore. And, um, so let's see that. I don't know what I was going to say about that, but anyways, he, he got sore there. And so I changed to the podium. Okay. And it has a vigor thing, Mm -hmm. pulled it way back out of his armpits and he seemed much better with that. So yeah. Um, and then we went to top of the world in Idaho and he did the 55 there. And he was just like a rock star all day, all the things, like everything you could ask. He ate, he drank, he did everything really great. We finished, um, me and Hannah finished first and second, but I mean, there was only like six of us and it was slow. Like, I mean, I think we took like almost 10 hours <laughs> to do the ride. So it wasn't by any means because we were racing. We just happened to end up where we ended up. So, um, uh, that was cool. So I was super excited after that, like felt like everything was going to start going well. And, um, then we went to Fort Meade and he got sick. Remember? 
Like yes, we were all riding together and about 30 miles, um, we stopped at that grass by the creek and he, everyone, it was right before camp and no one really wanted to eat because everyone knew camp was across the road, but he didn't even like take a bite, which usually he'll like kind of grab something. And I thought, well, he's just, you know, busy body because he's always, wah. and so we got, when we got into camp, we went down to the pulse taker and he was just kind of like, wouldn't, didn't want to eat there. And I was like, oh God, here we go. Cause I just knew, I mean, I knew right away. I was like, we're done. <laughs> and so, yeah. And Fort Meade is right in the middle of Sturgis, South Dakota. And there's the really good vet clinics there. Two of them actually that are really good. Right. And if you're going to so, have a horse get sick at a ride, that is the time. I to know. <laughs> I know less than a mile. Like I was like, I am not going to sit here in camp and wonder what's wrong with my horse. I want to know what's wrong with him. What is going on? You know? And especially because he's got, you know, a little bit of insulin resistance. So he, they call it borderline, but whatever he's, so I wanted to know if like, it was a sugar thing. Mostly I was right. like, is his like glucose through the roof? And I don't know if that's something that you can even tell at that point, but I was just curious, like, I don't want to just keep guessing and not know what's going on. So I took him in, um, all his electrolytes were spot on. Everything was great. You know, his, he was, there was nothing that like stuck out except he had, um, a high white count. So he had an infection of some sort. So I don't know if that's why he colicked or whatever you want to call it, got colic E. I don't know that he colicked, but because right, um, he didn't, he wasn't trying to roll or anything, right? He just didn't. Um, later, after I got back to my trailer, um, he was really paw, like he would paw and okay. paw and paw. And I, um, he did lay down once at the vet clinic in the, he would paw in a circle, paw in a circle, and then he um, laid down, but he just laid there and mm-hmm. then he'd just get back up. And he did that once in like the two hours that we watched him. So I think he was just beside himself. There was just some discomfort and he was like, I'm just, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to throw myself on the ground. <laughs> Poor bear. <laughs> oh God. Poor bear, poor Angie. I know. Such a that too. pain in the ass, that horse. Anyways, so um, yeah, we determined that he had an infection. And I don't know if that just depleted him to the point where it made him tired, which made him call it, you know, if it was just like right. a perfect storm or if it was completely unrelated. Um, you could ask 10 people, I would suspect, and get at least five different answers. I'm I For mean. Sure. I've had two vets tell me that it could be related and one tell me that it's not. And another tell me that the markers weren't even, you know, you can't even trust that at that point. So, I mean, it's all over the place. So I'm, I'm like up in the air about it and not a hundred percent sure either way. Um, so anyways, I haven't done a ride since then. Um, was gonna go thought about doing this, thought about doing that, but so yeah, we did. We're 50, 50 <laughs> <laughs> Four rides, two finishes. Woo-hoo! Woo. <laughs> Doing real good. And I'm like five miles from 5,000 miles. That's right. Mm-hmm. So I'm really irritated about it. Uh. So we keep thinking we're going to go to 
this ride or that ride and something comes up and we don't ever, we haven't made it anywhere. So, um, I don't even know if I dare say there's one ride left and we may go to it, but I'm, I'm definitely not saying right, don't jinx it. <laughs> don't even say it. I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna, well, I'm not even gonna say it out loud. So it is what it is. There's one ride left and who knows what's happening. That's what I'm going to say. So you have bear and then you've been riding your young horse. Yes. Yes. He's doing good. Like, I'm so glad that I went back to the ground with him, did those clinics. Um, he's doing really good. The only thing about him is he doesn't have very good feet. He's got really thin soles, very sensitive feet. I'm actually getting him x-rayed tomorrow. Oh yeah. Cause I just want to know what's going on. It's like a theme for me. I want to know, I want to know these things. I'm not a very good guesser. I want to know. So, um, well, that's coming out tomorrow and they're going to, she's going to do x-rays of his feet. And then I have a farrier appointment next week. And I'm going to determine whether, um, you know, maybe, maybe I need to try something more solid like shoes or pads or if the renegades, you know, maybe some different packing. Um, I don't know. I'm going to let him try to decide running him in strap-ons renegades yes. right now. Yeah. Yeah. He's in boots. Um, I did 25 miles on the Matahe, which, um, is resurfaced with this little tiny bitty gravelly stuff. Oh, um, really? so I did 25 miles with him in boots on front and nothing on the rears, but hoof armor and he did okay, but his feet were sore the next day. Oh, okay. So he definitely needs more protection than that. Um, but he does, he does pretty good with all four boots, but, um, if he's like, if you get him real close to a trim and then you go ride him with four boots, even he gets sore. Oh, okay. So I don't know. He's kind of got those flat pancakey. I, I mean, not to say it's all the French line horses, but I've heard that it is kind of a thing in that line of horses that sometimes they don't have the best feet. So sure. I just want to know what I'm dealing with and Definitely. the best thing for him that I can. Yeah. I mean, not every horse can be in boots. Not every horse can be in shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, my horse, Zoe, that Logan, my, well, I don't know. He's not my godchild, but his sister is. So I don't know what he is to me, um, <laughs> but he has Zoe, one of my horses and he is six, I think, or how old? Yeah, something like that. He's, yeah. he's like the same. And so he rides Zoe and she was a horse that if I put shoes on was awful, like she Dang. hated shoes. Like she would stomp, like her gait went from like nice and bouncy and even to like stomping her feet into the ground, short stepping, blah, blah, blah. You'd pull those shoes off, put boots on and she'd just be like, wee. Wow. So every horse is different. I don't have any commitment to any sort of anything in particular. I, I prefer to use boots, but it doesn't always work. Right. I'm with you there. Cause I did boots for medicine lodge. And then of course, major tangled with that porcupine. And then I was not, I was scared to go to Fort house in boots, not knowing if that, cause like when I tried to ride him after that with the boots on, it seemed like it bothered him where he had taken those quills in his, in the back and his heel bulb and stuff. So, and then of course I was worried about being in boots at Fort house and then having boots come off and then with Mm -hmm. that many horses and stuff. So I put shoes and pads on him this year and that worked really good. And it was seamless until the week before 
Fort Meade when he pulled a shoe when we were just out riding and then pulled a shoe at Fort Meade. So I feel like I'm in the middle in between um, loving the boots, loving shoes. Uh, I feel like it's definitely a mix of both. When did you <laughs> lose the shoe at Fort Meade after I left? No, on that loop, with um, on the way, on the way back from Bear Butte. Oh, okay. When we stopped at that tank. I was like, oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember. And, I and that's where down. I kind of like first got my first inkling about bear. Cause I went to give him one of those crunchy granola bars and he kind of like, didn't love it. Oh, see, so you're like, busy. that's why that's you weird. <laughs> you know, it was like my first indication of like, Hmm. So I wasn't paying attention to your boot. No, you do. But I do know that's why we stopped now that you said that. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah. And then now that I've, now his shoes are pulled and I'm using boots and Mm -hmm. yeah. So I like to do both ish. I feel like shoes are nice when you're riding a lot, just Mm -hmm. because then you're not having to put boots on and off because I'm lazy. (laughs) Unless you can get them glued on like I do. Right. I'm also lazy really enjoy that I hate putting boots on all the time right Mm -hmm. and I don't like losing them I don't Mm -hmm. I mean especially like out on the Matahe where it's that clay mud then you get that bent night all over your hands and I don't know I just don't like Uh it it sucks boots off like I mean it's like putting oil in your boots it's terrible and then you can't get it out and then they just keep falling off but I have I mean I have done many rides out there successfully without losing a boot too right it's one of those things it seems like if you start out and you lose a boot it's like you might as well just suffice to the fact that you're gonna lose boots all damn day I feel like that's (laughs) accurate for me because I feel like I will have days like when I went out a couple weeks ago and I rode that 20 miles by myself I had them in full boots Uh and I didn't have any twisting nothing weird everything was seamless and I'm like I can go out and (laughs) the next time yeah just ride half the distance so it's like yeah it seems and it seems like you're right if you have one problem you're gonna have more it's never just keeps yeah it just keeps (laughs) going and going like when we we're at medicine lodge like and then i, I feel like it. the people that you're with start losing boots and shoes <laughs> yes like yes like at bighorn a couple years ago when it was just like all the oh, oh man problems Maybe. it didn't stop yeah so interesting but i suppose we can talk about our yeah uh i would topic, call it topic. <laughs> topic of choice right for this so podcast we, yes so we we're going to talk about volunteering. Cause we've had some people reach out and say, you know, we would like to know more about this. Um, so we're going to tell you, <laughs> yeah, let us tell you about volunteering. <laughs> we love volunteers. First of all, yes. volunteering, I mean, for rides, because basically this whole organization is built upon volunteers. There yes. is very, are very few people within the organization that actually get paid for what they do. And those would be our three wonderful people in the office in California, but that's it. The rest of us are all volunteers. So um, this entire organization is built upon volunteers. First of all, is all I kind of wanted to say, but um, as far as volunteering at rides, um, ride managers, also volunteers again, everybody except the vets, which I mean, you almost got to consider that they're there 
they are there as a volunteer also in a way I've had a vet out at my house for 40 minutes that charged me more than my ride vets charged me for a whole day. (laughs) Right. And yes, and they are there day, all day. Yes. And maybe they're working from 4am until 6pm. And then Mm -hmm. if there's any treatments, who knows overnight, you know, of course they'd charge you as if you get, you know, treated, they'd have to charge you, but that's beside the point. Just saying like, they're super very close to being a volunteer. Right. Yeah. They are charging the bare minimum. Yeah. <laughs> they're not charging what they are worth. That's for no, sure. <laughs> they're not charging you their normal hourly rate or none of us could put on rides. So they're right. basically volunteers. Yes. Totally. Okay. Volunteering for a ride though. Um, as people become interested in endurance, oftentimes this is what we refer people to do is to go to a ride and volunteer. So then people are sitting there going, well, what does that mean? Exactly. Right. Who do I yes. call? What happens? What? I, okay. So that's what we wanted to go over today. And, um, I guess one, what did you, you wanted to start? You had a, you had a few questions and one of them was who can volunteer and do I need experience? So what do you have for that? Yes. So basically anybody can volunteer because there's all kinds of jobs with different, I should say, experience levels or things that maybe you need to know more about. I mean, some, some volunteers might just be opening a gate or watching a gate or um, even hauling water. Um, I know that came up like at Bighorn, you know, hauling water to the different um, vet checks and stuff and they needed tanks and they just needed water hauls. So somebody who can just drive a pickup might just, you know, that's all you really need to do is be able to just haul water. So some volunteer jobs can be pretty easy. And some maybe, you know, when you're talking about taking a, a pulse or, you know, and are, um, scribing for the vet, of course they, that somebody can fill you in on that, but that might be something where you feel like maybe you need to have a little bit more horse knowledge, but I can certainly, like I dragged my husband into helping at uh, Bighorn, just, you know, even pulling people off the mountain, um, getting, you know, giving people rides. I mean, that was helping, that was volunteering, but Mm -hmm. not necessarily in a very large capacity at all. As a person who didn't get to go to any rides last year, I also was able to volunteer from home. I hope. Yes, that's right. I helped um, rider ride management find awards. I helped um, organize volunteers for Bighorn. Um, I s- even sent a couple. I paid a couple um, junior award or junior um, entries for a couple rides in Minnesota um, for a drawing. Um, I don't know. You can do a lot of stuff, even if you're not at the ride. So basically like Bridget said, anyone, literally anyone can be a volunteer. Um, there's really a job in ride camp for experienced riders, um, experienced horse people and non-riders and non-horse people. Um, anyone, like you said, can open a gate or there's always food to be put out. If you're good at, you know, organizing, like, food stuff, making sandwiches, um, all sorts of stuff in that capacity that you can do that as a non-rider. And you see a lot of non-riders at ride camp. Often the people who are signing you up are there as a ride secretary and helping with paperwork. 
So if you're an organized person and you can do that kind of stuff, that's always um, handy for a ride manager because the last thing a ride manager wants to do is sit and register people because the whole time you're sitting there, people are asking you questions. There's other things you should be doing or could be doing. I shouldn't say should. That is my first thing when I am a ride manager and I'm at my ride. The first thing I say to whoever I'm working with is I I'll do anything, but register people. (laughs) I cannot sit in there and register people. So there's always good people that want to do that for me because I can't, I can't handle it. But another thing to consider is that even if you are a rider, and you are riding that particular ride, you can still volunteer. You can volunteer the days before, you can volunteer the days after, you can volunteer when you're done. I understand that people don't wanna leave their horses for a long period of time, or they shouldn't um, after doing a 50 mile ride, but you can do little tasks here and there. You know, I don't see very many riders when they're done with the 50 that do not leave their horse to go drink a beer with their friend down the way. They could, you know, go to ride management and take pulses for a half hour to relieve someone so they can go to the bathroom and get a snack and whatever. So once you're done with your ride, especially if you're riding like an LD, and there's plenty of time in the afternoon to help out with the fifties. I understand when you get done with the 50 and there's three riders out, it's probably not really important, but you can help with food. You can help get set up for awards. There's things you can do as a rider after your ride. And then you can unmark trail. You can volunteer on Sunday, the whole day or half a day and then pack up and go home. So think about that when you're you're at a ride, you even just a little bit, an hour or two oftentimes takes a load off of the other volunteers. So yeah, that's what I had to add. Yeah. That's really good. Um, so like what I know you as a ride manager, you probably have a list of tasks that you need people to do at your ride. Typically. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, things starting out from the first day that you, decide you're going to have a ride. I guess there's things that already are coming up. And most of the time I'm pretty good by myself until closer to the ride date, but there's things like paperwork that some people don't know how to do, don't enjoy doing, don't want to deal with. Sanctioning forms for AERC are super easy. The sanctioning director is the sanctioning directors are great. They will help you out. They'll help you fill out your forms, get everything right, do whatever. So they'll teach you. So that shouldn't be much of an issue, but there's also things like permits, um, you know, contacting landowners. Some people aren't comfortable making those contacts. Maybe someone else could help you with that. Um, like the permits that I fill out for the U S forest service and that kind of stuff. They're very extensive. Like it's like a 15 page application. And once you get it filled out, it's easy peasy because it's pretty much the same every year. But I mean, they want to know if you have a safety plan and a emergency plan and you know, how many participants and it's, it's different because we're kind of a different type of an event than their typical um, running events. You know, where are you going to park people? You know, well, we're on private land, so you don't have to deal with our parking. You know, what are you going to do with your garbage? I mean, things like that, that don't really pertain, but sometimes you have to work through that kind of stuff with the Rangers because they don't quite understand what you're trying to do. And so the first time you do those, these permits, 
you know, it could be a little more difficult. So having some help with that, if somebody, if you as a individual have those experiences or have dealt with the forest service, maybe you could reach out to ride managers and be like, Hey, if you need any help, let me know. Cause I've done this a billion times. Sure. Um, so that's one thing that you could do if you have that knowledge or you're really good with applications and things like that. Um, there's always trail clearing, like if there's stuff going on in your forest and trees are down and things like that, you can um, start out doing some of that kind of stuff and sometimes finding trail the ride managers are like, Hey, that park is really cool. I really like it, but I don't know the trails well enough to know if there's enough miles or is there some, you know, so if you're local to that area and you know, these places, cause you've ridden there a ton, maybe you could offer to help go over the maps with the ride manager and be like, Oh, this trail is really good. Well, this one's not, it has a huge drop off, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, try to help management figure out how to make 50 miles of trail or suggestions to not repeat a bunch of the same trail. So no, those are good suggestions. Um, you can help find awards and sponsorships. Um, if you're good with that kind of stuff, I guess closer to the ride is when things get a little more intense for the ride managers, uh, things that can be done within like the month prior to a ride. Um, someone could organize, volunteers a volunteer to organize volunteers <laughs> so now we need volunteers volunteers, volunteers. <laughs> but it's one of those things that is difficult to do because people are dropping off all the time like I can come no I can't I mean if you have 10 volunteers you can expect about six of them to show up sure yeah. So if you need four scribes, you should probably find six because. Right. Cause something always comes up at the last minute for one of your people at least. Yeah. And as a volunteer, something to think about is that, um, and I've fallen, I've fallen victim to this and I have probably done this to ride managers before. So I've been on both ends of it, but sometimes I don't think that we as volunteers, consider how important what we were going to do for that ride manager was to them. Like just, I feel like sometimes when people bail out on being a volunteer, they're like, well, you know, no big deal. They'll be fine. Not, I mean, they don't really consider the impact that it actually does have. So mm -hmm. just know that you're, even if it doesn't seem like what you were doing is a lot, it's a lot every little thing is a big thing for a ride manager. If you are committed to doing something and you bail out at the last minute, it makes a significant impact on that ride manager. Cause it's hard to find a whole entire another body to do that. Right. And especially if it's something that is, you know, if you were specifically good at that. Like you have to find somebody who can take pulses or is comfortable doing that. You know, it's not like somebody just to fill a water tank in camp, or even if it is filling water tanks, if you were the only person who knows that how the roads to get to that water tank. And now I got to find somebody else who knows how to get to that tank without them getting lost or, you know, and can drive a truck with a tank and run the, you know, the, right. the tank. I mean, there's just, 
a lot of times I think people like blow it off. Like it's not important. And I, I think that that's a mistake because it is, it's more important than you think. So that's something to consider as a volunteer is if you commit to doing it, you really should be 99% sure that you can actually follow through. Don't just willy nilly be like, yeah, sure. I'll help you. And then never show up. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. That can, that's a really good point. Even something like just simple can turn into something not simple when you're need somebody to know where to go and you can't take off your time to do that. (laughs) It might be the straw that broke the camel's back. You never know. For sure. For sure. Cause uh, ride rides are stressful enough for the ride manager. So (laughs) which I'm going to find out next year. I'm more tired. Yeah. Right. I'm more <laughs> tired after my ride than I, I mean, I think I could ride back to back hundreds. And be less tired. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but every year, every year I get done with it. And I'm just like, I could sleep for three days. Like, well, no yeah, joke. You've like been up for, you know, on ride days, you're up before what an hour before the first ride leaves at least. Yeah. Well, and- it takes me an hour just to get across the river. Well, it takes 40 minutes to get across the river and I'm psychotic and I have to be there for the start. I don't know why I need to be across the river. What if somebody doesn't make it across the river? <laughs> I mean, it's three inches deep. I don't know. I don't know, but it's my own fault. Most of it, but right. So like you typically mark trail the week before the ride or just a few days before the ride. Um, I, we usually mark a few days. Like okay. go out like, well, I mean the week of, week so of the Utah and I, I think this year we're there on Tuesday and then we marked, you know, we kind of unpacked, get, got gathered, made a plan, you know, who's going to go this way. Who's going to go that way. Who do we have here that will come with us? Um, who will maybe pick one of us up at the other end? It's like, so I have a 15 mile out and back. Oh, and right. So, so you didn't need to ride 30 miles just to mark that trail. You if I don't have someone there that can, with a smaller trailer that can come out and get me at the other end, then I'm riding 30 miles. So, um, if we have someone that can do that, we try to do that. Um, if not, then I usually would just ride my bike and then I can take the gravel road back. So then it's only like 22, but sure. You know, I mean, going out and riding so, so 22 miles trail, um, <laughs> you know, can be, marking trail can be somebody who rides somebody who rides a bike. Well, depending yes. on what trail you're on, yes. but it doesn't always have to just be a rider. No. And four wheeler. I mean, a lot of places can yes. mark trails with four wheelers. A lot of people can, you know, do that. So anybody who has any type of ATV that's allowed, um, bikes, if they're allowed, those type of people are very helpful for that, um, somebody you can drive a two horse trailer and come pick up the rider who rides the 15 <laughs> miles. You don't even have to ride a horse. You just have to pull a trailer. So, I mean, there's just so many things that you can do if you, if you talk to the ride manager and just find out what's needed. Right. A lot more, even just as we're like talking, I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's that. And there's mm-hmm. that. And there's that. And yeah, there is just so many things outside of just even ride day things. Yes. And so the main ride day things are probably what are you thinking like timers and scribes and pulse people what are you what are your main ride day basically those things yeah the 
timer is important. I've went into a ride without a timer before, just kind of, well, whatever, forgot the timer. So finding a timer um, is important because um, like for my ride, we need two timers because we have the out check. So we have to have the in-camp timer and out check timers. Um, so make sure, you, you know, we can have in, and it's nice to have like three. So you can have someone, the out check doesn't really matter. Cause once it's over, it's fine. And then, you know, you can kind of swap back and forth, but some places have two out checks. So you need three timers or whatever, but, um, mm-hmm. there's lots of places where you can fill in, you could time for an hour and scribe for an hour. And I mean, you can just kind of float around too. You don't have to do one specific task all day long. Um, just to be in camp sometimes is helpful to just be a runner is what I call them. Um, just to fill in someone just random that can go do several things, but, um, pulse takers, uh, if you're not comfortable with stethoscope, we allow people to use heart monitors too. So basically anybody who can stand next to a horse and put a monitor on them. Um, it's pretty simple. That's an easy task. I know in Minnesota, they don't allow that because they have comp riders. So Um, for their competitive trail, the pulse is a significant part of their score. So they want people who take an accurate, more accurate pulse through a stethoscope because it has to be done at a specific time. And they say that, you know, the, the laps in time before between the actual watch picks up the new heart rate, you know, cause you've listened to a heart rate where it's like thump, 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 thump. So it can slow down significantly and the heart monitors don't pick that up as quickly as a stethoscope would. Cause you only take it for 15 seconds. So water tank people, you said that, that kind of thing. If you have tanks to fill scribes talking about a scribe, a scribe is a person who is basically, I, I assign my scribes to a particular vet because different vets give out different, give out orders in different ways and want things written on their card in different ways so that they can review what they wrote and um, know what they're talking about. So usually I try to keep the same people with the same vet so that they kind of mesh. So they do them in different orders and sometimes, so you get used to who you're dealing with. And basically a scribe is a person who holds the ride card during the ride vet check and the vet will check all the parameters of the horse and you will mark what the vet says. So the vet will say, you know, back and withers are an A, you know, tackles A. So you just go through and write down what the vet says on the vet card. So if you're going to be a scribe, it's not a bad idea to get a hold of a ride card and just review the things on the ride card that you will be filling out. So you kind of know where they're at because sometimes the vet will do it out of order. And then you're like, where's that at? Where's the goals? Where's that? And you're trying to find it on the card. And then like where to put the CRI, you know, do I put it down here? What the, you know, it says vet check one, two, there's a final on the front and then the back has, you know, just get familiarize yourself with a ride card. Even if it's at the ride where you ask the ride manager for the card and just look at it the night prior and just, so that's something if you want to describe, it's a good idea to just look at a ride card. So it's not all new to you. Timers we talked about, and a timer is a person who sits at the gate where the horses come in or the area where the horses come in, and you will time the horses in. 
and then you will time the horses out. So one of the important parts about being a timer is to not allow riders to leave before their out time. If you are a timer, um, you would keep a notebook of all the times in and all the times out. So when the rider leaves, if we're missing a rider, we can go to your notebook and look and see rider number 56 left at, you know, two 30 and it's now eight at night. <laughs> Where is this rider? This rider never came back in, you know, are we missing anyone? Is anyone still out on trail? Is someone been out there too long? Is someone not going out? is another thing. It's important to know if someone decided to go back to their trailer and then just decided not to go out. Why did they not decide to go out? Are they sick? Do they need help? The horse sick? Does the horse need help? If it's the horse, they still need to vet that horse out and pull. And a lot of times, or sometimes I shouldn't say a lot, inexperienced riders will just go back to their trailer and then be like, oh, my horse looks tired. I think I'll just I think I'll just leave him. We don't need to go out. I'll throw some hay and go sit in the shade with him or something. I don't know, but they don't let management or the timer know. So that's something that we watch for also as a, so as a timer, that's kind of your responsibility to keep track of that. We talked about scribes, talked about timers, pulse takers, talked about that. We, we, we kind of touched on food, I guess. You definitely have somebody that, uh, sets out food or oh, yeah. Yeah. food and yes. gets things ready. So, I mean, mm-hmm. of course now we're kind of think getting back into where everybody can have dinners and, and, uh, have a meal at the ride. So if you have, so, if you like to do that sort of thing, um, there's room for somebody to help with that too. Yes. I don't like doing food either. <laughs> and so, um, we kind of touched on all the parts, I think, and I guess we could talk about, I mean, marking trail go along goes with that is unmarking trail. Mm -hmm. So after the ride and after everything's done, um, that's something that can be done and picking everything up, um, going and retrieving water tanks. And, and for me, marking trail, I don't typically send someone out to mark trail. Um, you can come with me and help. It's a lot of on and off, on and off, on and off. So if you have, especially for us, because we don't have really a lot of trees. So if we're going to mark, it has to be on the ground usually. So last year I just gave up. I was like, I'm just riding my bike. I'd be better off hiking. Like I was on and off my horse, like 800 times. It was stupid. And I was, so I just started riding my bike. Cause I'm like, I can at least set my bike down and not try to hold him and tie something. I mean, so having someone to help, like when we unmarked trail, Amber came with me. And so I only had to get off half the time. So it is nice to have someone with you. So don't take me wrong on this, but I don't allow people that don't one, know the trail. Um, two, I'm very particular about how the trails marked. If it's marked, if it's not marked well enough, I want it to be my fault or our ride management's fault. I don't want it that to lie on someone else's shoulders. So I don't usually, if at all possible, just send some random person out to mark trails. So don't be offended if that, you know, that's not an indication of anything other than just everyone marks trail different. So 
if you mark it differently than I mark it, when I go out to ride the first loop and the first loop is marked like this, and then I go out to ride the second loop and it's marked completely different. I feel as a rider that I'm like, am I doing this right? Is there something going on? So I like the trail to be marked uniformly. That's a really good point. And that is, that makes a whole lot of sense. So you'd much (laughs) rather have help unmarking trail. Yeah. And help marking (laughs) trail is fine, but it's more, if, if we say, you know, if the ride management says, well, you can go out with so-and-so it's not because they don't think you can do it alone. It's just because it's, it's a difficult task to do one by yourself and two, it, it should be marked uniformly. Right. Yep. Nope. That totally, totally makes sense. And I don't know that I would have thought about that either as being like, oh, you just marked the trail, but yes, you're right. It should all be marked similarly because yes, as a rider, when you think about that and you're like, oh yeah, if one loop is marked this way and then you get onto the next loop and you're like, whoa, these markings are, you know, yeah. all well, over the one street. person marks it every like 10 feet and the next person marks it every six miles. I mean, yes. if I go out on the first loop and it's marked like a lot of markings mm-hmm. and then I go out on the second loop and I'm like way between ribbons, I might not, I might think, right. gosh, this is the last loop was marked every, every corner. And now this loop, I haven't seen a ribbon forever. Am I lost? Yes. So it's, it is, I mean, and it's one way isn't any better than the next. It's just that you, you just, people mark things differently. Their Uh minds work in a different way. So for sure. And yeah, like I said, I hadn't really thought about the differences in that. And even like, yes, and we think about it as a writer, exactly what you said, when there's a lot of ribbons on one loop and then the next one, you're not seeing any, I think I'm lost (laughs) for Mm -hmm. sure. Right. So. Yes. So, but yeah, so unmarking yeah. trail would be easy to send somebody yeah. out then. Oh yeah. Ridden it before, then they kind of know too. Right. So, yeah. If you're hanging yeah. out a few days after a ride. Yes. Um, just like Go out and pull that stuff down. Yes. Yeah. So, last thing on Monday morning that I want to do is get on my horse. And <laughs> ride it again. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to go to bed. I, I'm sure that you do. So the next question that you had come up with was what can a volunteer expect in camp? Is that where you're at? Yeah. Or, you know, like, um, to like, so, you know, when you get to the ride, you know, so I, and I guess we kind of already talked about it. Like, you know, you find your ride manager, of course, that's the person who you're going to contact, um, and then uh, follow their direction. If they have somebody who's in charge of the volunteers, Um, So I feel like we've kind of touched on that. Um, I guess maybe I also meant, you know, I know you probably typically supply your volunteers with food and drinks and you try to take care of your volunteers. Um, Is that something that's typical? Should they kind of expect that or should they? um... I wrote wrote to the answer to your question. What can you, what can you expect a volunteer expecting camp? I wrote chaos. <laughs> no, that's a good answer. So, I mean, I could probably be all over the board. As I did. As I did that. actually write that, and I I mean it in a way because you do when you get to camp, and depending on when you get there, if you get there right in the thick of things, it could be very chaotic, and ride managers could be kind of all over the place. So, I just wanted people, if you're new to the sport and you haven't been in ride camp to be aware that when you get there, it, depending on how things are, if you're right in the middle of shit show, number one, it might be 
a big old mess and just don't get like, you know, all <laughs> worried that you're in the way or, you know, whatever. I just, sometimes it can, as a ride manager, it can get a little crazy. So if it's your first time, you know, try not to be intimidated by that. And, um, I did write down also, um, in the, in the, to bring, um, if it's your first time and if you're not camping, I mean, if you're camping, you're kind of going to bring all of your things, but if you're just coming in for the day, it's a good idea to bring your layers, you know, all the clothes. Cause you never know what's going to happen. A raincoat, that kind of thing. If it's, if you're in a environment where that can, it can rain, um, you know, just be prepared with some snacks and some water and whatever. I, like you said, I'm, I'm pretty good at having plenty of food. We always have way more food than we need. We're sending food home at the end of rides with people. So please don't feel like you can't have, you know, I feel like sometimes volunteers are like, oh no, that's for the riders or that's for the vets. It's like, no, this is for you. Like I want all the volunteers to be fed appropriately. So feel, you know, open to get, take whatever you need water. I mean, we bring so much water. Most, I would say 90% of ride managers are going to be the same as me. You know, we want to keep everyone fed and hydrated. You know, like I said, make sure you're bringing appropriate clothing. Um, if you're staying overnight, um, I think you probably already have all that stuff in your, your camp, but yeah, that's, that's kind of all that I had for that. What about some benefits to being a volunteer? Obviously besides the experience, um, I think I've seen some ride managers maybe give discounts or something yeah. on, on ride entries or some do. I did, I did offer, um, volunteer discounts. So if you volunteered one day, you could ride for like 50% off the next day, but I did run into the problem with, you know, people showing up and I never saw them all day, but then they wanted to discount and that got kind of frustrating for me to determine like, what is the exact criteria that it takes for, and probably for them too, because what if they showed up to scribe and someone else was like oh I'm scribing you know so they were kind of just roaming around all day not knowing what to do and and I don't think that that's anybody's fault um it just so happened but then you know did they get to have the discount you know so I got tired of trying to determine that and not determine it I kind of gave up on it but um a benefit other than that if that's offered that's great if not, um, I think green beans gives points. They do. They do. Yes. So that's a, that's a a very good thing for if you are in the green beans program, I think that you can get quite a few points for volunteering. Yeah. I feel like it is quite a few. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that is, I forgot about that one. It's a great learning experience, both for wanting to be a rider and wanting to be a ride manager. If you are already a rider and you don't volunteer very often, maybe it's time to, you know, take a day or whatever and just stay in ride camp and, you know, help the ride manager out and see what it's all about. If you're interested in becoming a ride manager, right? How do you become a volunteer? Oh, 
and when I wrote that, I was kind of thinking like, sometimes I feel like new riders come into the sport. I'm trying to think of like, if I was new to a, a sport or some sort of an event and I was like, God, I should, I would like to volunteer for that. How do I, how do I, who do I contact? How do I contact them? So usually you would just contact the ride manager and then they would probably give you their email or put you on an email list that will update you uh, closer to the ride as to what's going on, um, give you a call closer to the ride to let you know, but just kind of keep in touch with ride management closer to the ride date as far as man is volunteering goes. But I guess I kind of feel like sometimes people don't know where to even start. Do I just show up? You know, I I feel like it's best to definitely contact management prior to showing up just because then they can find an appropriate job for you. And like I said, it's chaos in camp sometimes. And if you just show up, it's harder for a manager to get to know you and what your skills are and put you in a position that is beneficial to you. I mean, I don't want to put someone that, you know, doesn't know anything about endurance out filling a water tank. Cause that's not going to be very beneficial for them. They're, they, you know, they want to learn stuff about endurance. They don't want to learn, you know, they don't want to stand out at a water tank all day or drive around all day. They want to be in camp. So right. I think as a, as a volunteer, make sure that you get in contact with management and like, let them know what you are looking for. Are you not a horse person and you just live in the community and you want to do some community service and help out? Cause you thought that looked like a cool group and you wanted to learn, meet some people. Um, then, you know, filling a water tank might be your jam, but I don't want to, you know, have you taking pulses if you don't even, if you've never been around a horse kind of a thing. So um, it's kind of nice for a manager to have a little bit of time with a volunteer to know what they're looking for. I know when I, of course, kind of got started in endurance and went to that intro, when I did my first intro ride, I didn't really realize that needing volunteers was a thing, or I mm-hmm. maybe would have volunteered at sure. that ride. I just didn't even realize that it was um, such a needed, such a need for, mm-hmm. for it at rides and that there was so many jobs that you can do to help you learn about the sport. Um, had I known that really, when I was kind of just checking it out, I probably would have. Yeah. And that's another thing as an intro rider, it's, you know, you have your day, your ride, and then, you know, there's plenty of time typically Mm -hmm. in the afternoon. You could also, you could do both. Right. That's one thing. Then you could ask questions. I mean, the ben- the biggest benefit of volunteering as a, a new rider is just you get to learn so much. And you can pick the vet's brain if you're scribing. You can, you know, see how fast horses pulse down, what people do to pulse their horses down if you're pulse taking. Uh, you know, if, even if you're timing, you can watch all these things happen. So being in camp is a significant benefit to the future of riding endurance. Oh, definitely. Then you know where to go and what happens in what order. And right. 
that really even like even even if you've ridden quite a few LDs or quite a few even a couple 50s and you want to see what horses look like at 80 miles like volunteer for the 100 you know so you're out scribing at midnight and you see these horses that have been out on trail for you know 15 hours what do they look like when they come in are they you know what are some of the problems they have what are the riders doing to help keep them going what is making them feel better what's not you know things like that so they can learn a lot even as a semi-experienced rider that's looking to move up yeah that's a great point yeah that's really good I think that covers a lot of volunteer i went on aarc.org though and i couldn't find anything there about volunteering have you ever looked i have not looked but now i will because that is because like i said and and not that i when i kind of got into it i just kind of threw myself into it because i i don't know when i saw the the ride in my area and i was like oh that sounds fun i should go do that (laughs) Mm mm-hmm I didn't really think, uh, you know, to even really research the AERC or anything. Yeah. Um, I just decided to just go. Yeah. I clicked but. that new to endurance. I didn't obviously read everything in there. Maybe it's in the discovered endurance writing booklet well, or something. I, but. I just did a search on their website for volunteer and there's like a little article by Gail Ecker that popped up and it said, you know, this person recommends reading books and articles. You can learn many of today's top writers started by volunteering at a ride and meeting new people who have helped them move up the competition ladder. There are many positions for volunteers at endurance rides. In fact, the sport depends on volunteers much more than many other equine disciplines. Yeah, but yeah, it doesn't really. But that's it. Yeah, not super descriptive. So I don't know. I hope people find this somewhat helpful. <laughs> I don't think that we have much more for our first podcast back, but I think that we were getting the ball rolling (laughs) slowly, but surely we're getting back in the groove. We don't want to, we don't want to jump in too heavy right now. Just take it easy. Right. We'll work on some good interviews. Yes. We got to do that. Yes. Those are always fun. Mm Mm-hmm. So we will probably go ahead and close this podcast with that. And we will be back. We are off summer vacation. Yes, we are back. So yes, feel okay. free to reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, and our email talkintrot at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions or anything you'd like us to do. Thank you, Bridget. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.